Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Clifton Baptist Church in Forest, Mississippi. My prayer is that you'll be blessed by God's word preached from our pulpit. Today's message is from Brother Glenn Denton in our fall revival. Um, and I could, that's for sure. We never know when it'll be the last time we'll see each other. We never know that. And um, I guess we don't think about it until it comes home to us sometimes how close it can be. And I have it happen quite often now uh, to people as they go to be with Jesus as I get older. And I remember my last conversations with them. But I hope I, this is not our last conversation. I hope to watch God work here and use Brother Addison here. Thank y'all for letting him come and be your pastor. And thank you for um, being the kind of church you are that wants somebody who believes the Bible. Uh, you may think that's not a big deal today, but people don't believe the Bible just everywhere. And preachers don't believe it just everywhere. And preachers don't believe it all in many places. So thank God for somebody who believes the book and loves the Word of God. And thank you for being gracious to me this week. I appreciate um, all your hospitality and your generosity. And we eat at Waffle House for one reason, because we were going to eat at Melissa's house tonight. That's the reason. And so that's the only reason we, would, we settled for that, because we knew she was going to have a treat tonight, as always. And she does, and she always cooks up something good for us. So we thank God for them. Thank y'all for letting me come and um, be with you and the kids. And they used to be live behind me. I didn't see them much, I, but they lived on a street that joins the back of my property. And uh, so I didn't see them a whole lot. My dog saw them more than I did. But uh, they were uh, they lived on that back street and. As it uh, turned out, that I don't know where the house has got anybody in it or not yet or not, but uh, I hate to see them go, but I'm glad that you have them. I'm glad you're doing, that they enjoy being here. I can't think of a better place to raise kids than right here. It's quiet. It's, it's a good place to live from what I've seen so far. It's um, just very peaceful. The worst thing I've seen is the dude squ squealing his tires with loud mufflers, some old ragtag car he had. That's the worst thing I've seen in town. <laughs> So, you know, I hadn't seen nobody drunk, I hadn't seen, heard nobody cussing or nothing. So, now I'm sure maybe you have, but I haven't. And so, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, I believe the Lord's done some special things this week, and I want to thank you um, for letting God speak. Um, as I said, I have my own ministry now, Glenn Ditton Ministries is not really mine, but it's the Lord's, and um so we are on Facebook twice a week. I'm teaching the book of the Revelation on there. God willing, this winter, I'm going to write that book and uh, write a book with uh, all the outlines and, and notes of the book of the Revelation in it. I have an overview written now on it that I, I printed. It's just a brief overview, but I've been preaching a year in it now. And uh, so you can go on Glendent Ministries and uh, watch me, and um, I'd appreciate you doing that, commenting, waving at me, saying hello, thumbs up. Don't give me no thumbs down. I don't like them. <laughs> and don't give me no frowny face either, because I'll, I'll say something back to you. All right, don't do that. But uh, just tune in, and, and um, I hope you can get blessed like a lot of folks are from it. And I call that my Facebook congregation now, and that's what I use it for. I hate Facebook organization. 
They're common and no down and no good. And they hate me. They put me in jail all the time. They cut me down. In fact, uh, I preached through the book of Genesis and it's still, if you'll go to my timeline, you'll find out everything I've ever done is there. But some things they've taken off and they took off Genesis chapter one because they didn't like what I had to say about creation. Facebook took it off and it's never been put back on. Uh, they've taken my views off and stole my views. I'd go from 1.2 to like uh, 39 views when I have 60 comments. So you, you kind of couldn't figure that out. So they treat me pretty ugly sometimes. But I told a friend of mine last week, why should we expect anything different from the world? And so we're not going to let them run us off unless uh, God allows it. And so as long as God allows it, we're going to keep fighting. So turn your Bible tonight to the last book in the Bible, which is the book of the Revelation. Not Revelations. Revelation. Okay? It's not Revelations. That's what people call it all the time. It's not plural. It's Revelation. This is a Revelation. The word means apocalypse are unveiling. And so what God is doing is taking, he's taking the veil off and letting us see everything that's coming in the future in the book of Revelation. And so it's a great uh, book. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 1, 3, blessed is he that readeth this book and hath understanding. So if you want a blessing, Read the book of the Revelation. Don't say what some people, well, I just can't understand it. It's probably one of the most simplest books in the Bible to interpret if you know the rest of the Bible. It's just one of those books that God makes very, very clear and structured for us when we understand where we're coming from. But tonight, I'm moving beyond most of the future, and I'm going to something that even though to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord right now, we have a whole eternity ahead of us and there is a place called heaven, right? I'm talking about a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. If there is a place called heaven and Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven, hell must be a pretty bad place he wants to keep us out of because it is a place. Whether we like it or not, it is a place and heaven is a place. So Revelation 21, I want to talk to you on a subject tonight. You may think it sounds elementary and probably does, but I want us to have a good time tonight and be encouraged in the Lord. I want us to get excited about going to heaven. And I want us to get excited about helping other people go to heaven. And I want to talk to you now on this subject, just what's so good about heaven anyway. Notice what's so good about heaven anyway, and I'll tell you why that's my title. Revelation 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that a great verse? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, and neither sorrow nor crying, and neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. 
And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. How many believe that? And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But here's a verse that makes everything else hurt just a little bit when we know this. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Tonight I want us to talk about what's so good about heaven anyway. Let's pray. Father, speak to us tonight. If there's somebody here without Christ, oh God, I don't want them to go to hell. And I know you don't want them to go to hell worse than I do. You love them better than I do, higher than I do, deeper than I do. You were the one that made a way for them to be saved. You're the one who made everything possible for them to be born again and changed. You're the one who's made a place for them to go. And I pray tonight that they might receive you and God, that they may make their reservations and they may be bound for glory when they leave here tonight. Not just bound to go home for a bed to their bed, but bound to go home tonight as a believer on their way to heaven. And God will give, I pray for those that are already saved tonight, they'll leave here excited about if we have to go tonight, that we'll be thrilled to be with you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The reason I say what's so good about heaven anyway is when I was a boy growing up, I had to go to church. I didn't want to go to church. I was made to go to church. I was forced to go to church after my dad got saved and and he wasn't home a lot, but when he was home, he would make us go to church on Sundays and he'd drag me up out of the bed even after I got on up at, uh, a little bit older. And as a teenager, I'd come home two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, and he'd drag me out or next thing early in the morning, drag me off to church. But when I was a boy and I listened to the preachers preach, first of all, there's bored as tears to me. I mean, I, I never could. Now, when we'd have one of them fireball, them, them spitting hot, red, hot spitting preachers, I'd at least sit up and take notice, you know? I like that. But for the most part, it was just boring to me. And everybody seemed to get all excited about heaven and they'd sing about heaven and talk about heaven and how wonderful it was, but they never did act like it was so wonderful. And when the preacher would preach on it, well, I figured it had to be better than hell. I didn't want to go to hell, but heaven didn't sound a whole lot better when they got through with it. It just seemed to be kind of a boring place to go to. And then when I got saved and I come to know the Lord, I was nearly 24 before I got saved. And when I got really born again, began to study this book, I found out there was something to be really excited about, about going to heaven. There was some good stuff about going to heaven that I never had heard before, seen before, and known before until I began to read God's book and find out. Did you know that people, when it comes to the heaven, I believe that they are some of the dumbest human beings in this world when it comes to the subject of heaven. And especially at funerals. At funerals, we take our brains out, turn them on dumb, and put them back in. 
Because we don't, we say some of the dumbest things at funerals. I've done a lot, I go to a lot, I'm around a lot of funerals, and even preachers can say some of the dumbest things. And when you're sitting around the coffin or you're around the funeral homes or in the home, you hear things that's just got nothing to do with heaven, but they talk about it anyway. And you'll hear stuff like, well, you know, these shooting stars and these shooting stars, that's just angels getting their wings. How many of you ever heard that? That came out of a wonderful life at Christmas time. That didn't come out of the Bible. It didn't come nowhere near the Bible. And then we'll have people make, uh, they'll say something like this. Well, <laughs> I guess God needed another angel. God don't need another angel. You ain't gonna be an angel when you die. You ain't gonna be a fat baby with wings floating around on the cloud playing a fiddle when you die. That's not gonna happen. You're not going to be an angel. Can I get an amen tonight? God's already got enough angels. In fact, we're higher than the angels. And if he'd have needed more angels, he'd have made more angels. You're not going to be an angel. And God don't need any more. He's already got two to one in demons, so he don't need any more. So you're not going to be an angel. So tell your family that you're not going to be a fat baby sitting on the cloud playing a fiddle when they die. And that's boring to me anyway. Don't that sound boring to you? To be a fat baby? I mean, listen, Buddha, I don't want to be a big old fat Buddha hanging around on the crowd. And so people say dumb things. And then they'll say something like this. Well, I believe if anybody gets there, they will. That makes me feel inferior when I hear that. It's like, well, they got a head start on me. No, they don't. No, they don't. I'm, my wife, I heard that. Well, if anybody got there, I know Miss Pat got there. Well, I know she got there, but she didn't get there because she is that much better than me. She got there because of Jesus Christ and his glorious, wonderful grace extended to her. And she knew that's how she was going. And she knew that she got there by that grace. And that's how I'm going to get there. Not because I'm good, not because I'm better than anybody. And nobody's got a head start on me. And I don't have a head start on you except in age, that's all. So that's not going to happen anyway. You know, those, those kinds of things is not going to happen. People just have some dumb ideas about dying and about going to heaven. And, and so you know, you're not going to sit on a cloud and play a harp, but you are going to play a harp. You know, all of us are going to be able to play a harp, and that's all that is, big old harp. We're all going to play a harp. Book of Revelation tells us, chapter 4 and 5, we're going to all play a harp we get to heaven. You may not can play spoons right now, but when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to play a harp. And imagine now what that's going to sound like, all of God's children harping. My wife told me I must be an angel because I'm always up in there harping about something all the time. So I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, we all, when we get to heaven, going to play a harp, but we're not going to be flying around, floating around on the cloud, a boring lifestyle. There is nothing boring about heaven. And, and how about this, with people always making all these jokes, and we really got to the point now where we really believe it's going to happen. When we get to heaven, there's going to be St. Peter standing at the gate, and he's going to be firing off all these questions, what's the square root of something before you can get in? And I'm going to tell you something. Simon Peter ain't going to be standing at the door. Jesus is the door, not Simon Peter. And so you ain't got to worry about answering all those dumb questions when you get there. All he wants to know if you've been saved by grace. And he knows that before you ever get there. So it'll be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. 
so you don't have to worry about standing at the gate and Simon Peter giving you a questionnaire to fill out. There's no kiosk before you get into heaven. Praise God for that. Don't you hate to go to the doctor? I hate to go to the doctor now. You walk in, you got to, I mean, first of all, now you got to do it on your cell phone before you get there. You got to register. You got to sign in. You got to give me a life story. You got to tell them what size shoe you wear and all that kind of stuff. And then you go in and there they got a kiosk and then you got to put it all right back in that kiosk again. And then, then they come and hand you another thing and you got to type it in an iPad and do all that. And then you get back and you see the nurse and ask you the same blessed question all over again. And you spend 45 minutes and then the doctor spends three minutes with you telling you there's nothing wrong with you, amen? So it goes. So today, when you get to heaven, I'm telling you, it's not going to be that way. So let's look at what's, what's so good about heaven. Y'all still with me? All right, first of all, I want you to know something that I know about heaven. Before we ever even get to the good things about it, the main thing that about heaven that makes it so good, did you know that Jesus never said one word about heaven until he gets to John 14, which is near the end of his ministry. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is the last discourse that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he goes over to be crucified and as he goes to Caiaphas' house and then to be crucified. And so we read a good bit about heaven in John 14. That's the first time he mentioned up to that time, the only thing that Jesus tells us about heaven is he calls it eternal life. In other words, he says this, here's what heaven's gonna be, Jesus. Just being with me, he said, is gonna be everlasting life. Just being with me is gonna be better than anything you've ever had in the world. Just being with me. But then he goes on later and gives John some information to tell us. Now, I'm excited about that because I know today, first of all, I know where Jesus is. I know he's there sitting on the right hand of the Father. I know he's there. The Bible says he is there. I not only know he's there, I know what he's doing. He's sitting on the throne, as I said. He's living in us now, the Bible says, and he's working for us up in heaven. Uh, the Bible tells us he's there as our advocate. So he's our lawyer. He is our great high priest in heaven. So I even know what he's doing. I know where he is. I know what he's doing because he rose again from the dead, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and there he's making intercession for our sins. So I'm excited about that. But I also know where he is because in Acts chapter 1, we watched him go there, Right? I mean, before the very eyes of people, he ascended right up into heaven through the clouds and the Bible says he's going to come back the very same way. We talked about it last night. So I'm excited about heaven. Why? Because here's, since I know where he is, what he's doing, what he's up to, the best thing I know about heaven, write this down. Number one is I have a place to go. I have a place to go. To me, having a place to go is one of the most important things in life is having a place to go. A lot of people in our world don't have a place to go. 
We've got refugees all over our world in different countries across our world because of wars, because of barbarians, because of torture, because of all kinds of conflicts and, and riots and warfare that's going on. We have refugee camps all over this, all over this globe from place to place simply because they have nowhere to go. They have no home to live in. They have no car to drive. They have no place to live. We've got them living in cardboard boxes and under bridges and folks don't have any place to go. We've got abused wives and women who's been mistreated and treated horrible and kicked out on the street by some sorry husband because they have no place to go. Everybody needs a place to go. I know little children right now that's being raised by people that's not even their uh, biological mother or father and they're being raised by somebody because nobody will take care of them because they have nowhere else to go. Somebody carried them in and they had lived their life knowing that if this person decides to put me out, I've got nowhere to go. And I'll tell you somebody who's the most fearful today and that's senior adults. Senior adults today probably living more fearful than they've ever lived in their life because we don't know tomorrow where our savings is going to be wiped out to where our retirements will stop to where we don't have any health care plans. We don't know what could happen anytime and we could be out on the street. In fact, we don't know our children, something could happen to them or maybe we don't have children at all. Maybe the children turn on us and won't take care. Where will we go when we get to where we can't take care of ourselves? Senior adults now are buying insurance after insurance after insurance to ensure that they have a place to go when they get to be a certain age or a certain condition where they no longer can care. That is a serious thing when you don't have a place to go. And the senior adults is a, I is one now. I can talk about y'all. And I'll talk about us, let's put it that way. In fact, I heard about this older, older lady. She's 104. My daddy's 93. My daddy said, I don't know why God's got me here. I'd just soon be dead. And he's been saying that now for, I don't know, ever since he was 45, best I can remember. He said, I, I, I can remember. Went to went church, sure enough. He said, I'll never see, see, see 50. After he got 50, I'll never live to see 60. After he got 60, I'll never live to see 70. Got 70, I'll never live to see 80. Well, my mama didn't. She went on to heaven, but he's still hanging around and he never would have said, I don't see 90, but he'd already saw 90. And now he's at 93, still doing pretty good. Lives by himself, got a place to go. But we've had those talks when he don't have a place to go, when he has to be put somewhere cared for about that place to go. And, and, and he has his own idea about this. So I heard about this older lady, kind of like my dad, except she was 104. And a reporter asked her, said, what is the best thing about being 104? She said, no peer pressure. But Amen. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Senior adults are funny. Do you know that? Senior adults are funny. You say, yeah, but we're, we, we got wrinkles everywhere. That's right. But I got a recipe for wrinkles. Just, just, I know you're sagging and all that stuff. All right. I understand that. You're sagging. You got wrinkles. And I've learned this. Just eat till the wrinkles fall out. That stops it right there. I could make me an infomercial about that, couldn't I? 
and get rich. But I mean, older people, are, they're fun. They, but they also have a fear about where to go. One older lady not long ago said, Brother Glenn, I want you to know something. I'm not crazy. I don't suffer from insanity. He said, I enjoy every minute of it. Amen. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm not crazy. I enjoy being crazy. Every minute of it. Someone said consciousness to an old person is that annoying time in between naps. That's what consciousness really is. So I guess that's true. But the truth, truth of the matter is, is if you don't have a place to go, makes for a heartache, doesn't it? And I'm glad that Jesus, when he saved me, he said, son, listen to me. You got a place to go. There's some people in this world I could go to tonight and I could tell them, well, just look up. They're going through hard time. Oh, things could get better. The good old American dream, remember? Oh, things is going to get better. Truth of the matter is, things will never get better for some people. There's some people who never own a house. There's some people who never own a car. There's some people who never have any, any money. There's some people that always live just barely getting by. Things won't get any better. I've been to a bunch of foreign countries and preached to them, and I could not tell them it was going to get better where they're living in mud huts and they're living in grass shacks and cardboard boxes in the Philippines up in, in sewer tanks and everywhere else they're living. I can't tell them it's going to get better, but bless God, I can tell them they can have a place to go. One of these days, they got a place to go. And what better comfort can you send to somebody by telling them you have a place to go? Would somebody just help me a little bit? Now you say, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, if you got a place to go, you, go, you want a good place to go, right? So let's, let's think of what, what this place is. Look at this text. and It says, first of all, it's a new place. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So this is a new place. Look at verse number five. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. So heaven, this place that God has for us, this place that we can go when we die, if we're saved, if we're saved. Not everybody's going to heaven, by the way. That's another thing you hear today at funerals. I don't ever hear anybody say, well, I'm telling you, that guy there, he, he sure lived, he lived like the devil. He ain't going to heaven. No. You don't hear that said because we don't know whether they're going to heaven or not. We may have pretty much been told by that person they're not going to go to heaven, but I can't predict whether they're going to heaven or not. But can I tell you, not everybody's going to heaven. Jesus said that. In fact, most people's not going to heaven. But those who do go to heaven is going to a new place. <laughs> All things are so much better when they're new, aren't they? I mean, they're just better. You ladies get a new dress, it's better than it is six months later, isn't it? It's better, because then you got to want to go back and get some more. Especially shoes. My wife owned 400 pairs of shoes. I've never seen, I mean, new, new shoes, all oh, these feel so much better. New shoes, everything's better. Get a guy get a new suit, just feels better, don't it? Get a new suit. In fact, to get a suit of any kind feels better. It feels better when you get a new car. Something about a new car. This, it just may be new to you, but it's a new car and it just feels better new. It's a lot better than it is six months later. And when you get a new house, ooh, that feels good, don't it? Until six months later, you say, I wish we'd have done this to that and I wish that wasn't there and I wish that wasn't there. Next thing you know, you're all upset because it is not new anymore. Well, I've got news for you. When you get to heaven, everything, every day, all through eternity will always be brand new. 
So how do you explain it? I can't explain it. I just believe it. Everything, every day will always be brand new. Thousand years of eternity and it'll still be brand spanking new. Think about that. I mean, you say, wow, is that a new hair style you got? Yep, brand new. <laughs> brand new. Is that a new robe you got on? Yep, brand new. Just got it. What about your mansion? It's brand new. Everything's brand new. Everything's better when it's new. You wives help me out. Husbands are better when they're new. Right? Because after a while, you found out you just married a couch at Burbs. That's all you got. You know, you understand that. But the truth of the matter is that it's just better when it's new. But thank God. Think about this, folks. Hear me. What's so good about heaven is everything, all the time, every day, throughout eternity, is new. It's amazing when I think that. Astonishing to think about that. When everything is new. Well, come up to somebody in heaven. You got a new job? Yep, brand new. Because the Bible does say we're going to have jobs in heaven. We're going to be serving God in heaven. So don't think you're going to rock. You hear first saying, when I die, I'm just going to rock a thousand years in my rocking chair. No, you're not either. No, you're not going to be rocking no thousand years in your rocking chair. You go to Cracker Barrel and get that done now because you're not going to do it. When you get to glory, you're going to be serving God. So it's a brand new place. Everything there, brand new. Everybody there, brand new. Every day there, brand new. Think about that. Is that. Does that sound boring to you? That don't sound boring to me. It's a brand new place. Now look what the Bible says here. Why has it got to be that way? Because I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, when did they pass away? It passed away over here in verse number 11 of chapter 20. That's when at the great white throne judgment that is going to be the end of the world. Today, people say, oh, when's the end of the world going to be? Well, I can tell you right now, if Jesus comes and catches us away, it's going to be at least another 1,007 years before the world ends. Now, as we know it, the world will be quite different. But I want you to notice the scripture says in verse 11, when we get to the great white throne judgment, which is the last thing we do before we move into eternity, and we are not, those of us that saved will not be before the great white throne. We'll be behind the great white throne as witnesses. We'll not be judged at the great white throne. Saved people are not judged. Only lost people are judged at the great white throne. Everybody, if you look, read chapter 20, everybody at the great white throne dies and goes to hell. Every one of them because they're all lost. None of them's found, written. They've been blotted out of the book. And so here, the heaven and the earth, the heaven meaning, as I said last night, the solar system, the atmosphere, the air around us, it's all burned up. The earth is all burned up. Planet earth is gone. It disintegrates. The Bible says in 2 Peter, it says the elements shall dissolve. The word for elements means atoms. God will split every atom and melt the world into oblivion. This world will be no longer. And all of those who's lost without God will stand before the great white throne somewhere out there to be judged by God and then to be thrown into final hell for ever and ever, and then the rest of us will be 
into eternity in chapter 21 to go into a new place that will always be new. Now, let me tell you why this means heaven. There's three heavens in the Bible, okay? There's 2 Corinthians 12, 2 is the heaven where God is. There's that heaven. Well, in Psalms 8, verse 3, in Psalm 19, verse 1, there's the heaven where the stars are. That's called heavens, the heavens. And then it's where the birds fly. That's called heavens. That's the air around us. And so there's three heavens. You remember the Bible said in 2 Corinthians, Paul was caught up to the third heaven. In other words, he was caught up to the heaven where God is far above our solar system, completely out of reach, our solar system. So when everything's gone, you might ask the question, well, how can that happen? How can matter be destroyed? I'll tell you why. Because before there was matter, it was God who spoke matter into existence. And at first, all we had was just a glob of matter. And then God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. Next thing you know, matter becomes what we see. So if God wants to speak matter out of existence, he can do so. And he will, the scripture says. And so it will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and you're going to have a new earth. So you won't have to worry about pollution. You guys won't have to worry about losing your jobs because of your uh, your energy issues and stuff like that. No problem in heaven with the ecosystem up there. These eco-freakos are going to be really freakos if they make it up there. They're not going to make it believing that their hope is here on this earth because our hope is up there, as we talked about last night. So it's brand new. Let me give you a verse, Isaiah 65, 17. For it says, I behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Think about this. Everything you see here today, you won't even remember because what you have is so much better, so much greater, so much more wonderful, so more exciting, so more to be enthused about. You'll never even remember what was here. All the former things are passed away. Everything that went with it, all the consequences of sin that went with everything here will all be gone. Thank God for that. It's a new city. And let me tell you something else about it. Look at this. When you describe a city, he says it's a holy city. Would you say that about forest? Well, I guarantee you come to Lebanon, I ain't saying about Lebanon. It's far from holy. In fact, it's unholy. Nothing about it holy. And I've been in your little town, it's a nice little town, but I didn't see, I didn't really see holy forest as I drove in. It's not. A holy city is where when you pick up the newspaper every day, you don't ever read about a killing, you don't ever read about a rape, you don't ever read about a robbery, you don't ever read about any of those things. All you read about is glorious, wonderful, beautiful, wonderful, marvelous things. Think about that, folks, in a world to where all we have is nice things. Social media, gone, thank God for that. Fake news, gone. 
all we have is the heavenly gazette every day to tell us nothing but nice things. It's a nice city. See, if I describe a city, you describe it two ways. Location and population. If I said Forest is a beautiful city, I would mean its buildings, its, its neatness, its location, its surroundings, those type of things. If I said Forest is a wicked city, I would mean its people. And so a city is known by its population and its location. So this holy city, now get this, stay with me. Y'all still here? If it's a holy city, that means we have a holy location. We have a holy population. That means that bunch of scumbags you've got for neighbors, that they throw their beer cans in your yards and shoot your dog and kick your cat. You won't have them in there. They won't be in heaven. Everything there is going to be a wonderfully located and wonderful populated. Never have to worry about the population. There's something I want you to notice. There's a third thing, not just location, not just population, but there's preparation. You see, if this city is to be a new city and a nice city and a holy city, there has to be some preparation. And so that preparation, you remember Jesus said, I go, what does he say? I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receiving to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's a place he's preparing, right? Now, I've seen some wonderful things in this world, and so have you. Some beautiful sights in this world. In fact, a sunrise in the morning anywhere is just beautiful. And we see wonderful things in this city. But think about this new city is going to be prepared for us and he's been preparing it for 2,000 years or more. And he did this one in seven days, six days. Can you imagine what that's going Look how he describes it. Would y'all stay with me just a little while and I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. In a minute. If y'all, this, I'm last night here. Y'all can run me off if you want to. I'm going home anyway. So look, I heard a great voice, or verse number two. He said, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What does that mean? When I first saw that, and I began to study the scripture, I'm a pastor, so weddings is just something I do, and I do a bunch of them. In fact, one year I did 26 out of 52 weekends. I like to went crazy that year. In fact, I was crazy for doing it, but anyway, I did it. And so I learned something about weddings over the years, over 45 years now, I've learned that weddings for a pastor is a nightmare sometimes, and especially those weddings are in the church because mamas and mamas-in-laws lose their mind in wedding times. They go absolutely bananas. They forget everything except what that bride is gonna look like. I mean, for decoration, they'll come and spend all day long to put six bows and one candle in the church to make it right. It's got to be right. And they want everything moved. They don't care what the church, they don't care what they get out of the way. We're having a wedding. It's important. Now we didn't build this church for weddings, but we're having a wedding. It's great. Got to have a wedding. And people just go nuts about it. Except the groom. <laughs> he goes nuts having to deal with it. But, but here's what happens. As a pastor, they, I would always, you, you know, you're, it's three days at least of my time. So I'll 
I would counsel, I'd have a time of counseling with them. Then I would uh, come that, they'd say, we need to get, after the uh, rehearsal that night, they said, we need to get in early in the morning, Brother Lynn, because we, we're going to have, wait, we got to get ready. I said, the wedding ain't to four o'clock. Oh, well, we need to get in about six in the morning. Yeah. I said, the wedding's at four. I know, but we got to get prepared. Oh, prepared. So, okay, I, I'm there. I open the door, and here comes the bridal party in. And there's the bride. Good night. Her hair looks like a rat's nest. She ain't got no makeup on. Her face is all nasty. What she did have on is all running down her face. She's got on a pair of old, old ragged britches with holes in them. Got on a pair of flip-flops and her toenails look like she's been through a gravel pit and her fingernails are all jacked up. And I mean, and she's got some flab hanging here and here and here and a little bit over there. And then, and, and I'm sitting there saying, oh dear God, if that boy could see her now, he'd run, he'd run, he'd run. But I let them in. And here they all go, eight or 10 of them, 12 of them, whatever it is, they go marching back. All day long, they prepare. They prepare all day long. Come wedding time, I'm standing down front of that poor blessed old boy, and I'm thinking, oh God, forgive him. He knoweth not what he doeth. And I'm thinking, son, if you just saw what I saw this morning, you wouldn't be here right now. And then all of a sudden, the door opens. Now get this, all of a sudden the door opens and a miracle has happened. There she is, everything squeezed back into place like it's supposed to be, everything. And she's been manicured, pedicured, whatever else they do. Her hair's all fixed up, beautiful. I mean, she's been transformed into some kind of, oh, I don't know what into something gorgeous. And when they open those doors, all eyes sees her and my mouth drops open and everybody goes, ah. Hey, that's exactly what I'll get you excited about heaven. Because all this time, God's been preparing a bunch of junked up people like us, a bunch of messed up people like us, trying to fix us and get us ready, making us his bride, making us something that he can be, the Bible said, admired in of his saints. And one of these days, the door's gonna open up and we're gonna come shining through and we're gonna see that beautiful place that he's prepared for us and we're gonna look at it. Wow, what a place. It's going to shock us to see the transformation that will take place from this earth to heaven. Did y'all get that now? I know it's a long way to get to it, but did y'all get that? Y'all understand it? You understand it, don't you? Have you done your weddings yet? Oh, God, thank you. Bless. Right, let me sprinkle something on you over there. All right. I've done so many as... But it's a nice city. It's a new city. And then when I get to thinking about that, it's a nice city because there's no more sea. Huh. You see, 75% of our world is ocean, water. You know why God did that? Because we can't get along. And God divided the lands both seas because none of us can get along. And seas represented 
turbulence. And anybody who lived in that day who was a sailor, when you heard no more seas, it meant no more trouble, no more storms, no more hurricanes, no more tsunamis, no more weather. You know, some of us couldn't carry on a conversation if it weren't for the weather. And having no weather. You don't have to remember to put your long handles on in the wintertime. You don't have to remember to carry a rain umbrella with you when you go. No weather in heaven. No more sea. No evaporation and distillation process is taking place. None. Remember in Adam's world, there was no rain, remember? Here, there'll be no weather problems, no more seas, and there'll be also no more separation. Everybody will get along. Isn't that amazing? The racial tension is not there. The cultural tensions is not there. The language tensions is not there. The finance contentions is not there. No more sea. So I have a place to go. Second, if I have a person, no, look at verse three. What's so good about heaven is we get to meet Jesus live and in person. You say, I know him now, I do too, but I've never seen him. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in verse number three? The word tabernacle here is important because in the Old Testament, tabernacle meant to be distanced from God. It meant you couldn't get to God. Someone else had to get there to you. There was a holy place that you couldn't get there. And so you got to God from a distance. And that's why at Calvary, he tore the veil so we could come in and know him. But we still haven't seen him. And Peter, the Bible says that Peter said, blessed are those that have believed, but more blessed are those that haven't seen and believe. So imagine what it's going to be like when we get to be comfortable in the presence of Jesus. I mean, just to be in the presence. I've never seen him, but I love him. I've never heard his verbal voice. It's been louder than that, but I've never heard his verbal voice, but yet I still want to hear it. And I've never lived with him. He's lived in me. But I want to live with him. What's so good about heaven? We've got a place to go. But more than that, we've got a person to know. The Lord Jesus will tabernacle among us. But once he'll be proud of us. I don't know when we're going to get it, folks. Christianity is a personal thing. Not in a building in a person by the name of Jesus Christ. Face to face, oh blissful moment, face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, whoever loved me so. The third thing, verse four, what's so good about heaven? I have a pain to forego. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, Nothing that will cause anything, no more death, a pain to forego. Think about it. No pills or chills or bills. <laughs> None of it. None of it. No invasive practices. 
No doctor's office visits. None of that. A pain to forego. I, I doubt tonight there's very many of us sitting here that's not hurting somewhere. You young folks, if you just wait a little while, it's coming. You'll be hurting like the rest of us. Hurting when you get up, hurt when you sit down, hurt when you lay down, hurt when you get up. Hurt, hurt no matter where you go, hurt no matter what you do, you're gonna hurt somewhere. And then we go through all the sorrow and suffering of this life. It's gonna take place. It's gonna take place for us all. None of us can get through this life without it. So imagine what it's gonna be like to live in a world where there's no pain. Pain to forego. And last of all, when I'm done, there's the promise of overflow in verse six. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to them, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, It is done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I shall give unto them a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. In other words, you'll drink yourself to fulfillment forever. You won't just be fulfilled for a while. You will drink yourself to fulfillment forever. You will be completely 100% contented and satisfied. I don't know about you, but I've never had a moment in my life from the time I can remember when I was a boy until now, I've never had a time where I did not feel like there was something in me churning and turning and moving and wired and I had to get loot. I had to do more. I had to keep going. I had to keep going. I had to keep going and I've never ever been content. Even when I was so sick I couldn't get up. I was wanting to get up and do something. Something in me wanted to go. Think about the time when we're totally totally fulfilled and satisfied. Never saying well when the house gets built or when we get money to buy a new car, or when that's finished, or when I get out of school, or when I, no, none of that, that's all gone. Totally satisfied, totally content. Drink to you. I have, reason I have, I have Sjogren's, and Sjogren's attacks your moisture producing glands, and so if I didn't drink water and take a little pill, I couldn't produce any saliva. And so my tongue would stick to the roof of my mouth and you would think I was drunk. And so I don't want you to know I'm drunk so I take that little pill to create saliva so you won't know I'm drunk. But when you have this stuff, it, the, with Shogun's, you don't ever really ever get thirsty. You, your thirst never really gets satisfied. You, it, you drink a little and you're satisfied for just a minute and then you gotta have more. And, and I think it's the way it is in life. And one of these days, you know, it, 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 it's like that in our Christian life. We're, we're, we're all of a sudden, we're filled up with Jesus and we're walking with God. Next thing we know, we've messed up. We're backslidden. We're getting cold. We gotta get filled up again, right? But when we get to heaven, completely, 100%, every day, satisfied. Isn't that great? If y'all was Pentecostal, y'all be jumping the pews right now. I'm telling you, folks, this is something that makes heaven more wonderful than we ever could think it could be. Promise of overflow. I'm satisfied with Jesus. It's the only thing that I'm satisfied with. That when I get there, it'll be nothing but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Always satisfied. But I'm through. But listen to me. Not everybody's going. 
Are you? Not everybody's going this place. There's another place he said that if you're not careful, you'll go there. Fearful? I mean, oh, I, I would go forward. I'm afraid to, to, I'm afraid to go and step out for Jesus. Well, that's the fearful. They don't make it. Unbelieving, I would believe, but, you know, I just have a hard time gripping this Jesus stuff. Oh, well, that's the unbelieving. You can't go to this place. And it goes on and on and on. And every one of those kinds of people had been those kinds of people, and God had saved them and changed them, and he can do that for you no matter who you are. But not everybody's going to heaven. And I want to tell you something tonight. Everybody listen to me. I wouldn't roll the dice on this one. No, sir, this is for real. This is for eternity. I wouldn't gamble on this one. I sure wouldn't roll the dice on this one. Because the Bible said, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's as simple as it gets. If you want Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and change you and save you and you believe that his work was sufficient on the cross, you can be saved. If not, you can't go to this place I've talked about tonight. I want you to go. And more than that, God sent me here to tell you he wants you to go more than I do. You say, how do we know it's real? Well, I don't need this to let you tell me no, but I'm closing with this. When I was pastoring in Alabama, one of the godliest men in my church was about 85 years old. He was one of my deacons. He loved Jesus. I mean, loved the Lord with all of his heart. He had some grandkids that wasn't saved. He may have had a son or two or a daughter or two who wasn't saved. He had a lot of children. He'd been a farmer his whole life and in my community. And I can remember stopping by his house. And he lived right beside a little country store. And I lived on down the road about three or four miles and, and lived in the middle of a cotton field where my church was and I lived right beside of it. And I stopped and there he had a little head laid in his wife's lap. He uh, had been unconscious for I don't know how long. She was just laying there stroking his head. And I talked to him for a while and prayed with him. And all of a sudden, he woke up, just boom, like that, in the middle of me praying. He reached up with his hands as best he could, and he tried to grab me and pull me down to him. And I'd never seen such a look in his eye. He said, Brother Glenn, Brother Glenn, I, I, I see it. I, I see it. It's big. Oh, it's big. It's big enough for us all, Brother Glenn. I see it. You've got to go tell him about it. You've got to go tell them not to not miss going. It's big. And died. Now, you can tell me if you want to. That was some kind of out of his head thing. But if you'd have seen his eyeballs, you'd have known it was something in his heart thing. Tonight, if you don't think it's real, one second after you close your eyes in death, you'll know there was a heaven and you'll know there's a hell. Called to the hospital just last year, year before last. One of the women in my church had been there her whole life. 
She called me three straight days to the hospital, Baptist Hospital downtown Nashville. I went three straight days. She was in fear. She was in terror. They had her strapped down. She was trying to tell me stuff, and I thought I understood it, but then I didn't. And then I, then she tried to tell me more. I thought I understood it, and I didn't. And finally, on the third day, she called me, and, and, and everything she told me that day, I'd kind of figured it out. And that day, she was absolutely clear. I called her family. I said, come. I want you to hear what she's got to say. And she said, I thought I was okay at 12. I thought I was all right, but I was dying, and I know it. I was going to hell, and the devil was dragging me to hell and said, I saw this light and, and I could just, I knew it was Jesus and Jesus was saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. And I said, Jesus, save me, save me, save me. And she said, all of a sudden, things changed and I got peace and everything went calm and, and her face just cleared up and she told that story and she just became totally calm and died in just an hour. She was on her way to hell making a profession at 12 years of age, but didn't mean it. And I'd been some questions in my heart about her, but I wasn't God, so I couldn't tell. So tonight I'm not God, I can't tell about anybody here. But I can tell you, don't go to hell because heaven's too wonderful a place to miss. And Jesus is too wonderful a person not to know. Spy our heads and close our eyes and Tonight, I will have had you a while, but I pray tonight that these next five minutes might be, it might mean eternity for somebody here tonight. I don't know. It might mean eternity for you, whether you miss, where you miss hell and gain heaven. So will you avoid the lake of fire and come to the place where one loves you and so much he gave himself for you on Calvary's cross and begs you to come today to be saved. Pleads with you. And I wonder if you'd come tonight. We're going to stand and sing in just one moment. Why don't you get up and come down this aisle and take this preacher by the hand and say, I'm not leaving here tonight till I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I want to know that Jesus that can save me. I want to know for sure he's mine. And if there's somebody here tonight that's not living like you're going there and you want your kids and your family and your friends, when they stand over your casket, you want them to know that you went to heaven. Why don't you come and just make it clear? I want my life to show that I know that Jesus. And when they look over my casket, they don't have to worry about where I'm at. They'll know I'm in heaven with Jesus. And if you're not living for God and you need some things straightened out, won't you come? Are you not telling people how to miss hell and get heaven. Why don't you come tonight and just kneel at this altar. Let's close this meeting out with just a prayer meeting here at this altar of folks just begging God to save people and use you to be a part of getting folks to heaven. Father, I trust you now to do what you do best and that's convict. And so I'm done, God, and I pray to the Lord tonight you'll use these words and touch hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Brother Addison's right here. Won't you come? Put your hand, Brother Addison's hand. Put your heart, the heart.